Good afternoon. Uh, this is Admiral Donna Codrell, District Ninth District Commander. I'm with uh, Kristen Cox, who's the EAPC out of Bay Seattle, and uh, I met Kristen when I was the Chief of Staff for uh, D13, and uh, she did a lot of she started some work with resiliency, and I'm just following up with her on some of the things that that they're doing in uh, District 13 in regards to resiliency. So, Kristen, can you tell me where where your efforts have gone since I left as Chief of Staff three, three or four, almost four years ago? Certainly. Admiral, we have been um, taking a look at not only what we can do for individuals to help um, boost their resiliency and, and enhance their resiliency skills, but we've also tried to figure out um, what specific skills we can use to help people cope with really difficult situations because we all know that really difficult situations are going to happen. And instead of saying if they happen, we need to be able to have tools for people when they happen. So we've, we've done some work in that arena. And then we've also tried to um, expand that to develop skills that we can teach teams or units or shops or crews so that they can be a more resilient team, not just a bunch of individuals with great resiliency, but they can actually perform at a higher level of uh, kind of optimal performance, especially in difficult situations. Wow, that sounds fascinating. So can you give me an example of um, like the individual skills that you're talking about? Certainly. We have... um, through our my interest in helping prevent crisis, which is a kind of a fallout interest because of suicide prevention and prevention, intervention, postvention, um, one of the things that we've learned over the years is that people who are encountering difficult situations crisis tend to uh, want to take some action, especially first responders who want to take an action to fix it, or if they can't fix it, they just want to do something to make it stop, make it end, make the pain end, um, both physical pain and emotional pain. And we, as we all know, a lot of people have turned to things that are kind of self-medicating behaviors um, because they can't tolerate the discomfort and we also know that uh, relationships are, you know, tough situations that people, they, they want to escape the situation or they want to uh, do something to remedy it. And the reality is um, you can't always do something. And, and sometimes people will turn to destructive behavior because they just need to do something. So the idea was to take a look at what we can do to teach people to be tolerant, to expand their window of tolerance Mm. for discomfort, Uh, physical discomfort, emotional discomfort, relationship discomfort. Uh, So what, what can we do to teach people how to simply sit with and not have to act on Mm. when they're troubled minds, troubled bodies, troubled relationships. So we looked at um, mindfulness and teaching mindfulness skills. There's a number of people 
in fact, through uh, University of California, San Diego, Center for Mindfulness, they've been working with first responders to teach mindfulness. And we have a retired Coast Guard uh, commander, reservist, who teaches mindfulness and law enforcement uh, down in Oregon. And so we looked at, you know, maybe we can start figuring out how to teach people some mindfulness skills so that they can just tolerate a difficult situation without having to do anything to self-medicate or take actions that might be destructive. Well, that's really interesting. So when I hear mindfulness, I I sort of immediately think of some sort of, uh, you know, Far East yogi person, little, how do you get around that stereotype? What, What, how would you describe mindfulness? So the technical definition of mindfulness is teaching people to pay attention intentionally to simply what is going on in the here and now without judgment. Um, and instead, maybe taking a more curiosity approach, huh, look at that, I have an itch. And being able to focus on that with a, almost um, a more gentle or kind approach to that instead of, uh, oh, gosh, I have an itch. Instead to more look at it like, huh, look at that, I have an itch. Huh, I wonder if I can sit for one or two breaths before doing anything about that. Um, And then we've also focused on the science behind mindfulness and its um, ability to increase and enhance situational awareness, uh, the ability to respond instead of react, um, and and looked at that from a more scientific perspective. and it doesn't hurt that a lot of sports teams, elite sports teams, elite performers are using mindfulness. And also um, special warfare, Navy SEALs, really? et cetera. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's not a population I would have thought of. But um, so, so tell me a little bit about this, the team aspect of, of this resilience. So one of the things when you look at peak performance of individuals is the optimal state that everybody looks for is what we call um, relaxed ready, where you're aware, you're taking in information, and you're able to respond instead of react, and you get into a state of what they call flow, where you fall back on your training, you don't have to think, you're simply more cognitively flexible, you're open to what's happening, um, and you have choices then in how you react. Um, When we look at teams, especially Coast Guard mission essential crews that are going out in dangerous situations, high-risk situations, quick um, reaction times needed, able to communicate really um, without any barriers or conflict and be able to kind of read each other without too much effort. That's also a state of flow. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure most Coasties probably have had a situation where they they remember feeling like everybody was at the top of their game. They did everything they needed to do. Everything worked perfectly, even despite challenges. Um, and they just flowed. And we can do things to kind of create the conditions for flow, both individually and teams. So what kind of things? So one of the things, and this is no surprise to people, one of the things is making sure that people are trained in uh, appropriate drill situations so that they know what to expect as much as possible. Another one is to 
make sure that they are communicating and uh, with trust. And so there are certain things that you can do to enhance and develop communications uh, with your team so that you know they're being sincere, that you know that they're being reliable and you can trust them. You know that they are competent or they are working on building their competence um, and that they care, that they, you know, that they actually think of you as a person, not just um, a mission tool. Right, right. So when you talked about um, being competent, that made me think of, uh, you know, people talk a lot about proficiency and um, one of the things that I've been trying to focus on in, uh, in the Ninth District is proficiency, you know, beyond just the minimum quals. And so would you say that proficiency is important in terms of the team resilience? Yes. In fact, um, one of the things I think we can do both individually and in teams is figure out not only what our strengths are, but also when we are overusing our strengths. And that can actually create a little bit of uh, complacency. So uh, proficiency is, is uh, to me, um, adequate. Uh, and then we can train above that. But we can also become complacent and rely on our strengths without paying attention to um, kind of the shadow sides of those strengths when right. we overplay them. Yeah. We used to say in, uh, when I was flying, you know, nobody, everybody in the aircraft needs to be in the same place at the same time. You can't leave anybody behind, you know, in terms of working together as a team. Um, so um, one of the things that we're struggling with in D9 is, um, environmentally is um, f- uh, persistent flooding, which started last spring. So we're at 100-year highs across the lakes. And so a lot of the units spent last summer literally, like, keeping the basements dry with pumps and moving sandbags around and, um, you know, trying to keep hotel services working and uh, cleaning out the parking lots of dead fish and other trash. And, and it was very wearing on the crews. You know, how does that sort of... Uh, different kinds of stress beyond mission how does that affect the resiliency of a team so that's um you know it's interesting to me because first responders are eager to help always and will go above and beyond uh even to the level sometimes where we uh don't have any reserves left we exceed our capacity in an effort to do good things uh, for the right reasons yet we expend all of our reserves and so then uh, when we need those extra reserves to call on in an emergency situation we may not have them um and and that happens with individuals too you know you you give it all at work and then you got nothing left at home and then or you give it all for uh, a certain like a SAR season and then the things that you didn't plan for still happen anyway but you got nothing left right yeah so what would you tell an OIC or a CO dealing with that like how would they how would he or she recognize um, you know when a crew might be at their limits so the first thing that um, I always ask any leader to take a look at is their own capacity and what they're doing to manage their capacity and their ability to use all the resources that are available and not wait until the last minute to call for help. Um, And 
<laughs> you're, I'm laughing. You're chuckling. I'm laughing because this is what I've been trying to tell people. So thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. Um, unplanned. The uh, what ends up happening is we we want to sh- show that we can do our very best, and we want to perform. Uh, and then we don't take advantage of the resources that are available to help us. We call after we need the help, um, and things are kind of crumbling around us. And that that's true in our families. It's true personally, and, and it's true in leadership. And so, the the like I said, the first thing is is to take advantage of all the resources and use them before you know that the warning signs are going off. But once you do see the warning signs, I often tell leaders, you know, in the work life arena, we want you to be giving us our best shot at helping you do preventive maintenance, not waiting till the damage control stage. We can help you if we're at damage control stage, but ultimately, just like anyone else in the Coast Guard, we'd prefer to be doing preventive maintenance. So if I'm that CO or that OIC and and uh, I'm you know doing a sort of this introspection like you suggest, what would be the warning sign? What would I be looking out for in myself? So um, many people probably can relate to the phenomenon of when your phone vibrates or your email pings, there is a sense of dread that comes up. And when you know, before you even look at it, you are anticipating that, you know, what's coming in now? Um, that is a signal that y- you've, um, you've at or exceeded your capacity. And what we call that is uh, not, the new term is not compassion fatigue, it's more empathy fatigue. You, you got nothing left. Um, and it's very hard for you to connect with whatever the, the crisis du jour is. Um, and in leadership, most of the time it's not, you know, specifically operational. It's more the people stuff that you're managing. And so you really need some of that empathy and reserve. Um, so anytime you have that reaction where, oh, gosh, what now? Right? Right. Um, or if you realize you're doing the things that um, are the bottom priority items on your list because you're avoiding the things that are a hotter priority because nobody's chasing you down yet to get them. That's an indicator that you've got a little bit of fatigue, decision fatigue going on. Mm -hmm. You're you're not wanting to deal with something, so you're kind of avoiding it. Um, And then the other one is when, when you feel a little irritable and and crabby which often somebody close to you helpfully points out (laughs) yes we all have those people close to us to help so what can uh what can i as a senior leader and my uh, maybe my sector commanders what can we do to help uh change the culture to make it okay to ask for help before it gets too late so what i've been um encouraging people to do is to do what is to me the most courageous thing to do as a leader which is show a little bit of vulnerability uh, and uh, show up as a person and be able to say in in often it's sea stories are the best way to do this mm-hmm. um, is to say you know I was a young person once I was a young uh, OIC I was a young commander I was a young non-rate whatever the case may be I was a young married person, and this is what I did when I got in a difficult or tough situation. This is how I coped. This is what didn't work. This is what did work. This is who helped me. This is who I finally talked to. This is how I got through it. Um, Because honestly, the people who are sitting 
if, if you're presenting to all hands, the people who are sitting in the audience are looking and wondering, what do I have in common with that leader? You know, how could they possibly know what it was like to be me and what my challenges are? And they want to know that you're human just like anyone else. Yeah, that's a good point. I think sometimes we look at, you know, if, if the captain is given an all hands and the people sitting in the audience think, well, I don't know this person any different as other than my sector commander. They've always been a captain, but they haven't. Right. Right. So show that little piece of yourself. Um, that's great. Uh, you know, in terms of resilience, do you think, uh, and I, this is just obviously speculation on your part, but do you think that generationally there's issues with Generation Z being less resilient? And if so, why would that be? Or what would be the factors? I don't know if I would use the terminology less resilient. I would say that expectations are different. And I would also say that uh, I think some of our more younger, uh, more junior members are more willing to acknowledge that they're facing challenges. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that people are actually less resilient. I think it's more culturally appropriate or they're allowed to talk about it more often and they're, they're, they raise the red flag more often, um, which I think actually can be a strength. Yeah, I think that I think that is a strength. But I, I guess from my vantage point, I think, you know, I look at uh, especially, you know, high school aged people and the how competitive it is now compared to when I was in high school. I don't think I would have ever gotten any college. Um, so it just seems like it's such a no fail time period when it should be fun it's like you know i've got to get the best grades i've got to do community service i got to be in a sports team i got to be the president of my class forget the train back here <laughs> the train is not our friend <laughs> you know you're in seattle when you're trying to do an interview and there's a train um and uh so i just wonder this sort of no fail culture that they're brought up in is is the detriment to learning you know and failing and learning from that that's a great point. Um, I think, you know, I've seen in the first responder world, especially in law enforcement and the Coast Guard, we have a zero defect mentality often, or at least that's what we think we have. Um, that's the perception. And that goes right along with that kind of perfectionism. I, my aim is to be perfect. Well, the problem with that is that you can never be perfect, and so you automatically are setting yourself up to fail. Um, so I think maybe we could do a better job at setting more realistic goals and and showing what, you know, the, over the course of a career, what that looks like, over the course of an education, what that looks like, over the course of your life or a marriage or whatever that looks like, and that there's ups and downs and, and being more, you know, telling more stories about that in a, in a real life um, connected kind of way. Yeah, I think that that expectation management is key. You know, just I think social media doesn't do us any favors um, in terms of portraying sort of this. You know, everyone's portraying their best self, and then we look at that and we're like, oh, that's not me, and so there must be something wrong with me. Um, but there's actually nothing wrong with you. There's something wrong with comparing yourself to something that isn't real. I will say that I think um, in our in our military environment. Uh, simply by virtue of our structure, not everybody can make Admiral and uh, E-10 
it's not possible. And so there is a lot of pressure to perform and a lot of pressure to make your record look a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it ends up by default being a competition with your peers. Uh, which is really interesting to me because um, the peers are the people who can best probably support you. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there's sometimes a, a, a feeling of competition with them. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it is a meritocracy in the purest form, I think, which is one of the things that appealed to me about uh, the Coast Guard. It wasn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily have to be the smartest person, but, you know, hard work and a good attitude can take you a really long way. Um so, um, so what else are you working on in the Nice District that you 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 would like to share, as far as uh, resiliency or mental health or sexual assault prevention or any of those types of? So, I think um, we're trying to do a few workshops on uh, that team resiliency concept and looking at trying to implement. Um, I'm hoping to implement a regular, maybe monthly, maybe bi-monthly mindfulness uh, call-in or information session where we're encouraging Mm -hmm. people to learn a little bit and try in a a uh, low-fail, you know, low-threat environment how to get comfortable with being in discomfort. I know our sexual assault prevention uh, victim advocates and our SARC are doing great things in the bystander intervention realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know the bystander intervention concept has been expanded from just sexual assault and harassment kinds of interventions to what do I do if I see somebody who's maybe thinking of suicide and in distress, really kind of expanding that repertoire um, of skill sets, giving people not just a, you know, how do I identify somebody, but then what do I do about it? Right. How do I have that difficult conversation? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great website out there that is specifically aimed kind of at, at younger folks, but it's about seize the awkward. Mm. How do you have an you know an awkward conversation? What do you say um, once you start the conversation? Then where do you go with that? How do you have those? Um, connecting conversations where you let somebody know, hey, I'm, I'm worried about you, and and now I want you to talk to me about this really weird, awkward thing. Right, right. Yeah, that, I'm going to have to look that up. That sounds fascinating. And then this, 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 um, this training, I think, um, team resiliency, you know, maybe, uh, or I mean the mindfulness thing. I, uh, my, my own experience, we were just talking before we started recording about our challenges with our own... Uh, husbands and some health issues and you know one of the things that helped me immensely was um, journaling which I think is a form of mindfulness which I was never a good journaler but now I can't do without it because it makes me focus and uh, and then obviously prayer and you know Mm -hmm. um, devotionals but what what would you say about journaling as a as a way for mind mindfulness so um, I journal faithfully at least 10 minutes a day, whether I want to or not. I carry my journal with me everywhere. And a couple things, I, I don't necessarily catalog all the things that are going on in my day, but I am absolutely 
not going to let a day go by without listing at least three things that I'm grateful for. And uh, I do that very specifically. So it's not just, you know, a good job. It's specifically what I like about that. There's a lot of research behind gratitude practice. It can be within a spiritual context or even just journaling straight, um, no, no spiritual connection behind it. But the idea is that we know that your brain is wired to find the negative and that's to keep us alive right we're searching for things that might threaten us and we also know that it takes for every negative that your brain perceives it takes at least three and sometimes for some people six positives to even that out to come back to neutral so you have to be looking for positives otherwise you're going to be you know in the deficit all the time oh that reminds me of the the old cliche about attaboys versus you know the oh we used to call them right i'll call them oh shucks right you take seven (laughs) attaboys to cancel out an oh shucks um what do you think one of the things i find about journaling is is you know as i write down like feelings negative feelings or or whatever about what i'm feeling about something when i first of all when i write it down i my mind isn't gonna it keeps my mind focused so it's not just a random bunch of thoughts running around my head it puts it on paper and then when i read it i can stand back from it and read it more objectively like what why would i think that or why do i feel that way so i don't i don't know if you found that to be uh, the case absolutely and and not only that so it gives you a little perspective but i also find that i'm able to go back and look at things a month later two months later and now I've been journaling for like 30 years Mm -hmm. and I will go back occasionally and look and and it's a it keeps the crisis du jour in perspective when you realize you won't even remember it right. five years from right. now. Um, but it also, it, it shows you what you learn as you go and also how much you have accomplished. Yeah, that's great. It's important to, ce- to celebrate the successes. Yeah. That's a key ingredient in hope. So what would you what would you recommend to somebody that that is out there and they are they're thinking you know I would like to increase my own personal resiliency what sort of thing where would they, where would you recommend they start So the um, the easiest way to start is just to carve out five minutes in your day somehow some way where you can do something that's uh, reflective and kind of nourishing. Uh, so it could be even if you're already exercising and you're already going for a run, taking five minutes of that run to specifically think about what your goals are, what you want to accomplish today, instead of focusing on just the run. Um, learning, picking up any number of apps that you can download that will help you um, figure out five to ten minutes of space to just uh, focus on your breath. Um, taking a yoga class if you need to, anything you can do to kind of chisel away five minutes where you are simply being present with whatever's going on for you. Oh, that's great advice. Yeah, well, we all, a lot of us have the Apple Watches that's constantly reminding me to breathe. I'm like, well, I'm already breathing. Why are you telling me to breathe? Um, well, uh, Kristen, thanks so much. Uh, we're, we're approaching 30 minutes, so I'm going to cut it off here. But um, any last words of wisdom from my favorite APC? Thanks, Admiral. Um, I, I appreciate the the chance to just sit and reflect a little bit with you. Uh, it helps me keep perspective as well. 
and I also would say that one of the things that I've discovered over the last several years is that people are hungry for connection. They are hungry for connection. And I think it's important for us to offer opportunities for that and to be comfortable, uh, you know, launching conversations, even when we know it's going to be about something that's, that's maybe tough to talk about. And how often do you have a chance to just sit and listen with somebody no advice giving, mm-hmm. no judgment, no planning, simply listen. It doesn't happen as often as it used to. No, it doesn't. And I would just, I would just maybe wrap that, wrap that up. You know, we all are sort of consider ourselves lifesavers in one fashion or another. And sometimes the life that we save could be right in front of us. So um, let's pay attention. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.